Welcome back to Promethea Rising. Everyone loves a good map, one that helps us understand the world around us. My guests Kirby Calvert and Rebecca Jans use maps to build energy-conscious communities. Successful community energy planning ensures stakeholders and community members who may be impacted either directly or indirectly by the implementation of the plan are effectively engaged in the planning process. Engagement builds buy-in, capacity, and motivation of the community for implementation. Energy mapping is a useful tool for understanding energy supply, demand, and distribution within a community. Collaborative energy mapping takes this tool and makes it an effective approach to engaging people in a conversation. As an engagement tool, collaborative mapping supports more inclusive design making and builds energy literacy among stakeholders and community members, helping them to adapt to technologies and policy changes. My guests Kirby Calvert and Rebecca Jans use collaborative energy mapping to assist municipalities to understand their role in renewable energy development. They have helped communities find and map local solar, wind, and biomass energy generation opportunities. Through the process, they help municipalities collaborate with stakeholders and community members to create fair and tailored initiatives that can be integrated into future community plans. Welcome Rebecca and Kirby to the show. Thank you very much for having us, Karen. Yeah, thank you. Happy to be here. So, why don't we start by having you tell us a little bit of the story behind your new venture, CoMapping? The CoMapping emerged out of a series of research projects that we undertook during our time at the University of Guelph. It's effectively the commercialization of a research program that we had been operating for you know, around four years or so. We start from the premise that the transformations that we're seeing in, in energy systems today, and you talk about them as part of this podcast, you know, we're seeing transformations in new technologies, new business models that are fundamentally altering the possibilities for how we produce and distribute and consume energy. And what we point to is that these transformations are ultimately and fundamentally transformations in our landscapes as well. So we're seeing wind turbines, we're seeing solar panels, we're seeing battery storage systems, flywheels. All of a sudden, we're starting to see these new energy landscapes emerge. What we want to do is raise awareness about why that transformation is taking place, what it can look like. We feel that mapping broadly, community mapping and collaborative mapping is one way to to get at that and to better understand that landscape transformation. What's the change that you're trying to lead with this new venture? Well, you know, we're trying to make communities conscious of that landscape transformation that I was speaking about earlier. And we hope to improve understanding of the scale of the change that is required to meet our ambitious targets around decarbonization and renewable energy development. We want to help people understand how landscapes are going to evolve in response to that. So the amount of land that is going to be required and the different kinds of landscapes and land uses that are going to emerge as we generate more of our energy locally and as we store more of our energy locally. You know, we want to, to change some of the narrative around this because there's a lot of, frankly, dishonest and misleading information out there on, on both ends of the extreme. So on one hand, there's a tendency to talk about the energy transformation in glowing terms and to ignore or not call attention to some of the issues and the challenges that come along with it. 
for instance, the, the landscape changes or the conversion of agricultural fields into biofuel production systems or solar farms. And so, you know, we want to be honest about the kinds of landscape changes that we're going to see. And on the other end of the extreme, there are folks who say that it's it's impossible to make this this transition if we we do make this transition to a, a completely decarbonized and 100% renewable energy future, then we're going to have to cover all of our agricultural fields with solar panels. Our landscapes are going to be dominated by wind turbines, and that's not true either. And so, what we want to do with our with our mapping processes is to raise awareness and to be honest about the the, the kinds of landscape changes that we're going to need to see. And among policymakers and planners, we want to make them more conscious of how their development plan and land use plans will influence access and feasibility of renewable energy development. And we, we think that mapping systems can help us understand how agricultural policies, for example, or urban development policies shape what is possible and what is feasible in, in the energy transformation. So you've mentioned having good information and making sure that information is honest as one of the challenges of why this kind of change is hard. Are there any other things that you've learned through this process that why this might be challenging work? Yeah, I think there's uh, there are a lot of answers to that question, why, why change is so hard. And I think I'll start with what many observers, and you know, Leah Stokes recently wrote a book called Short Circuiting Policy uh, that made this point that if we don't have politics at the center of our theories of change, we're not addressing the root cause of what makes change so hard. And I think that's right. You know, I think there's a tendency to say that this shouldn't be political and that the answers are clear. If we just listen to the science and if we listen to the modeling, we should know that decarbonization is inevitable. It's it's a market transformation. It's It's got to happen. It's going to happen. But the reality is that these decisions are inherently political in terms of the outcomes and the implied trade-offs. And so, you know, when we talk about something like uh, we say something like the future is renewable or we say that we want to increase the generation of uh, energy, local energy from renewable energy sources, we are indirectly making a statement that has implications on who benefits and who doesn't. So, you know, in, in that statement, the future is renewable, we're, we're making claims about the kind of land that will be converted from one use into a solar farm or a wind farm. We're making claims about who will benefit and who will not, the kinds of jobs that would will be available. And so it's not that we're necessarily being overtly political, but there there is there are political implications. And I think that that's that can be quite challenging. And and on the other hand, it's also overtly political as well. I mean, there are certainly vested interests that we have to grapple with. And we hear major corporations and status quo dominant players make statements about their progressive plans and the investments that they're making, but they are also actively lobbying for the status quo. You know, it's it's political in those two in those two ways. More broadly, in a word, I think uh, I think of it in terms of lock-in. Uh, so it's it's not in other words, it's not only political. There are habits, there are rules, there's physical infrastructure that all you know seem to, for one reason or another prefer the status quo. Uh, and it makes it very difficult to envision and to implement profound change. And what, what we hope to do with our mapping systems and our approaches to collaborative mapping is to revolve conversations about what change might look like around a common area of interest, around somebody's community, around their places of everyday experience. And we feel that it's one way to have productive conversations and to to be honest about how 
and under what conditions we're going to need to accept some change if we if we want to realize the future that we're hopeful for. So how is your approach to community and collaborative mapping helping to build energy conscious communities? So when I when I think about that question, I the first thing that I thought about was what does energy conscious mean? So I think the the definition is quite literally communities who are more in touch with maybe where their energy is coming from, how it might get to them, how much of it they might be consuming. So when we use our collaborative and community mapping approaches, uh, we do surveys out in the community on the ground talking to all air coat everyday people who might not be thinking about their energy sources on a day-to-day basis because it might not be part of their job or it's not at the forefront of their minds. We also run focus groups in some cases where we talk to particular stakeholders in the community. So maybe farmers associations or community naturalist groups that might have a bit of a stake in what the landscape is being used for in the area. And we also do focus groups with decision makers, people who we kind of refer to as capacity holders. So having a capacity to drive change around the renewable energy or energy in general landscape in an area. And so the kinds of conversations that we have with different members of the community might be different. But I find that within all of these, we are always making having the goal of bringing energy to the forefront of people's minds and making them actually stop to think about it. Because as I said, for some people, this might not be part of their everyday lives and something that they generally think about. Um, and I think just starting that conversation can be very useful off the bat because, you know, you start to ask questions about types of technology and maybe where, but not only that, but also why renewable energy or an energy transition might be favorable, why one spot or one location for a new renewable energy project in the area might be better than another one. And so they're really, in that point, we're trying to situate energy into the landscape and into people's everyday lives as, a way, as opposed to it being kind of a throwaway thing that we don't even think about when we turn on our light or use our computer or turn our TV on, whatever it might be. So yeah, basically with our community and collaborative mapping approaches, we're hoping to bring these conversations to the forefront of people's minds and make them maybe think twice about the energy options that are available to them and maybe even hopefully empower people to to do more of their own research and their own digging about what kind of options might be available. So how do you use the maps to make better decisions about implementing renewable energy? How does that work? So this is kind of the basis of what I was doing some of my master's research with, with Kirby as my uh, supervisor at the University of Guelph. And so we found that research and time has shown in general, people are supportive of renewable energy as a whole, generally for the reason of mitigating climate change or it being better for the environment. If you ask most people if they like renewable energy, a lot of them would say yes. But then when large projects or the the reality of a project actually comes to a place, there's been backlash for various reasons in some areas, right? And maybe the news or other uh, media sources at times have chalked this up to being NIMBY, right? Not in my backyard. I just don't want to see these things around me. But proper research has looked more in depth at this and has shown that that's really not the case, that there's rather a bit of a spectrum of acceptance and that most people are kind of somewhere in the middle. You know, you've got those who are vehemently supportive or opposed, but most people have just some conditions that might sway them one way or another. So someone might think, you know, I don't love what wind turbines look like. 
but I do want to add renewable energy to the mix in the area because I know it's it's the right thing to do. So maybe if we could just put them somewhere that's not you know right beside town or we have them with a certain design. I've even had people told me if they were spaced in a certain way and you know they didn't look so overwhelming, then you know, then I'd be fine with it. Or others might say, you know, I love the idea of solar power, but um, I think we need to be using the farm fields around my area. Um, to grow crops because I think that's more important. So I'd be fine with a larger solar project, but you know we have to make sure that it's not being put on soil that's the most fertile we have or something like that. So I find that using maps to orient the conversation from the start and not just having it as something kind of at the end can help us to find these nuances earlier about what might be acceptable or unacceptable to community members about projects in the area. So what do you find when you put a map in front of somebody? How do they react? Yeah, that's that's the fun part, right? Putting a map, for me at least, I guess I'm a bit of a math geek, but um, I found it gets really varied over the course of doing this for research purposes for my schooling or doing it for work now with co-mapping and with some of the other grants we've worked on. But as a general overview, I'd say most people think it's fun, especially when it's somewhere that they are intimately familiar with. They might, you know, take a minute to orient themselves on the map. Okay, where's this road? I know where this is. Where's my house? Or, you know, where are places that they're familiar with it? They picture these things in their head. And oftentimes it ends up turning into conversations about the places and what they mean to people. And that's why I think the why question is the most important. Why do you care about this place? What is its value to you? And why is it worth protecting from or integrating with? or using for renewable energy development. And then sometimes you get people that don't love using maps at all. I will say that there are some of those as well. So then the conversation can turn into something else and we can still answer those why questions. But I I definitely find that starting it with uh, the mapping side of things is is a positive way to start. And it, it, it adds some direction to the conversation from the beginning. So what's inspired you to do this work? Why maps? The big reason is because they just were, as as we, as far as we could tell, they were underutilized in the decision-making process up to this point. So we were you know, designing policies in Ontario. The provincial government eventually came up with a policy that restricted the development of solar farms on prime agricultural land. And you know, so so I, I'm not necessarily passing judgment on that policy per se. I mean, I think there's there's a really important and interesting conversation to have there about the extent to which and conditions under which prime agricultural land should be used for for renewable energy but my point is that we didn't we didn't really understand the implications of that so we didn't know how much of our land base that was going to remove from consideration for solar energy and and so those are the kinds of conversations that we want to we want to have and so we were we were inspired by what we felt was sort of a, a void or a missing piece in this conversation and rather than think about it at the provincial scale, we wanted really wanted to think about it at the, the local scale or the municipal scale. Increasingly obvious to us that the impacts of this energy transition, and in particular the impacts of renewable energy development, were going to be borne by communities. Communities were going to be asked to live near wind turbines and to live near solar panels. They were going to be asked to see and experience and live with energy infrastructure in a way that many of these communities hadn't before because we tucked large coal plants out of sight, out of mind, or we tucked large nuclear plants out of sight, out of mind. And so we were inspired by helping those communities, helping them drive positive change rather than wait around for it. And so a lot of our work, Rebecca spoke to some of the processes that we use. And one of the things we really advocate for is that we, 
we do this mapping work, we, we understand where the possibilities are, we map those possibilities locally, and then we have bring those maps into the community and have these conversations very early on in the process. Because one of the things that we know and that we've learned through our experiences broadly in renewable energy development is that if you don't create space for people to become engaged in the process, and if you don't give them an opportunity to, to think through what this is going to look like on the ground, then you're, you're going to encourage opposition. And I think a lot of the opposition that we've seen to renewable energy development is not opposition to wind turbines or solar panels themselves. I think some of the opposition is, is focused on those technologies themselves and what they represent. But I also think there's a large portion of opposition that is really related to the decision-making process, that people just didn't know a turbine was going to go up until the cranes arrived on site, for example. Um, or they, were, they weren't able to understand why that site was chosen over another site. And so if we can do this mapping process early in the process, and if we can use it at the very least to start a conversation, you know, then I think we, we drive more positive relationships and interactions between developers and utilities and communities. Uh, and and you know, I think that's, that's a good thing. So you've had an opportunity to try this process in a few communities. Have you started to see some impact from those opportunities and the conversations that you've been able to start? I would say yes. I mean, I mean, we haven't seen a, uh, an actual wind turbine go up in direct response to uh, our work, for example. So we haven't seen necessarily infrastructure develop in response to our work. But what we have been hearing is just very positive feedback from these communities about, you know, one of the things that we do when we run these mapping exercises, we, we produce maps of opportunities locally for solar development or wind development. And when we pass those maps off to our municipal partners, they're able to use that in their communications and they're able to center some of their conversations about long-term plans around some of these maps, use it as a, as a baseline or as a, a very early checkpoint with the community. And I think they're finding that useful. I think they're finding that, that productive. And I, you know, there's an old saying that plans are useless, but the planning process is powerful and indefensible. And I think in, in many ways, the same is true of, of a map. I'm reluctant to say that maps are useless. <laughs> Not what I'm saying, but what I'm what I'm saying is that it's it, the mapping process is, I think, more valuable than the map itself. And so, you know, when we when we sit around these maps as part of a focus group or part of a, a community engagement, the conversations that we're able to have and the connections that we're able to draw are are really profound. And they, you know, you they take you in directions that you hadn't even imagined, you you didn't envision. Uh, and so we've seen some some evidence of that as well. I was just going to say, I agree with that completely, Kirby. I just wanted to add about the process. Absolutely. I um, Sometimes you see the, the results of what you're doing on the ground while it's actually happening. So it made me think of um, being in a focus group in one of the communities that we worked with, and it brought people into the room that had never met each other. These were one of the stakeholder ones. So some of them were local business owners, some of them were builders in the area. And I was you know, watching some of these conversations happen, facilitating them, participating in them. And I was seeing um, people's business cards going around the room and connections really being made and, and plans being made to try and get projects off the ground or get ideas going in the community. And so that was an, an awesome thing to see. 
throughout the process. And what about the energy developers? Are they recognizing the value of this in terms of raising awareness, engaging people, working through some potential opposition in advance? Have you had a chance to connect with them and do they see the value? We've had some preliminary conversations with with developers who certainly see the value in the approach that we take. For now, the, the approach as we've developed it is designed to raise community awareness and to inform local land use planners and, and energy planners. And, and any work that, that can move the needle, any work that can smooth the community relations and community engagement process is, I think, very welcomed by developers for, for obvious reasons. We haven't yet partnered with a developer, strictly speaking, uh, on any of these projects. There's certainly opportunity to do that in the future. But for the most part, the processes as we've designed them, as I was mentioning earlier, are meant to happen really early on in the thought and planning around renewable energy development. So this is even before a developer has been selected for a project or before a developer has proposed a project. What we're really hoping to do is to establish, to use you know your term, your language, to, to raise uh, energy consciousness so that communities are prepared to have those conversations and enter into productive conversations with future developers. Yeah, and you're definitely mainstreaming energy planning within the municipal realm as well. Um, No one thinks twice of municipalities planning for water infrastructure or road infrastructure. The development industry expects that, right? So this helps to institutionalize the energy planning, the renewable energy planning practice into the municipality as well. That's right. Yeah. And so, you know, this ties back to a question you were asking earlier about, you know, any of the the outcomes that we've seen from this project. And Rebecca spoke very well about some of the outcomes on community engagement. And one of the, you know, one of the outcomes that we're really excited about are the, the ways in which we've opened dialogue between energy planners and land use planners at the municipal level. And one example, I won't name the community because I don't want to necessarily put them on the spot, but we we had really fabulous and deep dive conversations with one community in particular about how they might treat or regulate renewable energy development on agricultural land because that's one of the controls that local government has at least in some provinces depending on the province that you're in but in in many provinces the municipality has the ability to control and regulate the conditions under which renewable energy can be cited on agricultural land. And so we were able to show them what it looked like if they strengthened those regulations and were really strict and said absolutely no development on agricultural land. We were able to show them what that implications of that decision in terms of access and feasibility. And we were able to show them different scenarios of, of relatively looser land use regulations. So that's, that's just one example. And I, I think that you know developers are are seeing the value in that. I think communities are seeing the value in that. I think provincial planners are seeing the value in that, recognizing that that's the scale at which we need to be having these conversations. And those are the two big planning systems that we need to integrate if we're to realize this transition, that is the energy planning system and the land use planning system. So what lies ahead for co-mapping? Yeah, we're, we're looking forward to continuing to do similar work. It's been an honor already to be able to take some of the things that we were um, thinking about first in academia and in academic frame of mind and put them into practice in real life. That's been wonderful. Um, so we'd look, like to continue more projects um, along the same vein in other communities across Canada, making you know little tweaks and improvements to our process every time we do it, whether that's in the methodology 
or um, the technology that we might be able to bring into it. Some this idea we've you know been talking about for ages. Who knows if we can get there one day? But I'd love to be able to use virtual reality for engagement in addition to using maps. How cool would it be to you know have a map in front of someone and be talking about okay, well, what do you think it would look like if a wind farm was put in this area? And then okay, let's have a visualization of what that would look like. You know, instead of someone having to do it in their head, I think that would be an, an interesting tool to to add one day. You know, learning about more places across Canada and how renewable energy can be woven into their communities so that we can move forward with this energy transition. And, uh, you know, maybe even one day applying some of this methodology to other places around the world will be an awesome goal. Another project that we're really excited to be involved in right now is the SICA project. So that stands for Smart Energy Communities Accelerator. It's a project in New Brunswick, and we are partnering with Quest. Um, that stands for Quality Urban Energy Systems of Tomorrow, a great nonprofit that we've worked with a few different times now. And we will be doing some of our mapping processes with a community in uh, New Brunswick coming up. Oh, that's great. I just, I love how the maps can stitch together so many things in the community and so many stakeholders and so many perspectives and so many issues that need to be tackled. So thank you very much, Kirby and Rebecca, for sharing your experience in using maps and your new venture, co-mapping. Really appreciate the time that you've spent with us. Yeah, it was our pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. It was awesome. Rebecca and Kirby's mapping work is helping to accelerate the energy transition in so many ways. It is helping to build more energy-conscious communities. It is engaging people in local decision-making to earn their support for renewable energy. And it is helping municipalities understand their role in energy as energy goes more local. 